We're coming in like a lion on the Syracuse Sports Podcast. What a great time of the year. We've got a smorgasbord of things to talk about. Syracuse men's basketball is coming down the home stretch, as is the women's team. One will make the tournament, one will not, perhaps. The Syracuse Crunch are in great playoff position and didn't have the roster upturned by the recent NHL trade deadline. Syracuse spring football gets underway this weekend. So much to talk about in so little time. So let's get into it. Julian Wiggum and Lindsey Kramer will discuss those things with me and more. But first, a word on everybody freaking out about Syracuse basketball. It's all presented by our friends at the Bill Rapp Superstore, who celebrate the season with slam dunk deals at Subarus, Buicks, GMCs, live market pricing on pre-owned vehicles. Get that all-star shopping experience. Get in there. Talk to Brian and Bruce. Bend their ear a little bit on Syracuse basketball. And then get a great deal, because you know what? You always get a great deal. And it's always the smart choice to shop online at BillRap.com or at the Bill Rapp Superstore. All right, look, guys, I know you're freaking out. Syracuse has had its bubble burst, short of a win against Clemson and a great run in the ACC tournament. A lot of you have vented online and other places about how this team stands. 18-12 and 12 with a 7-10 and 10 record in the ACC. I know, it stinks. It's not what you expected. But I think we've also, as the kids like to say, we got to keep it real here. This is a basketball team with six players. I know that Barama Sidibe plays to technically make it seven, but that knee tendonitis is flared up. He only played three minutes against Boston College the other night. This is a team with six players. Of those six players, only three know how to score. Tyus Battle, O'Shea Brissett, Frank Howard. I will admit, and criticism is valid in a sense, that that's all Syracuse has. But Jim Beheim cannot wave a magic wand and make Matthew Moyer score, make Merrick Dolzhai score, make Pascal Chukwu score more consistently, particularly if it's not just a rebound near the basket. That's what those players are. So there are some X's and O's things that we can criticize. I think Syracuse can move the ball a lot better. The first time Syracuse beat Boston College, they had one of their better offensive nights of the year. Wednesday, they just got caught because Instead of shooting 60% against a Boston College team that made 11 threes, Syracuse shot 42% against a Boston College team that made 14 threes this time around. But here, as the great Peter Griffin would say, You know what really grinds my gears? When people question the heart and the desire of this basketball team, to me, that's absolute nonsense. And this goes against one of my rules in sports. You're not supposed to attaboy people for effort. You're supposed to play hard. But this team is running on fumes, and they gut it out night in and night out. Anybody that questions that effort, and I've seen people doing that, I don't know what game we're watching here. Jim Beheim even let it slip a little bit in his press conference late Wednesday night that, yeah, maybe this team is getting a little tired. I think, we, I think the guards are getting tired at this point and how much energy they have to exert on the offensive end. Um but, uh, you know, we just have, when we play in a high scoring game, which this is going to be, they're going to score points. We have to find a way to get other people something. They have to find a way to get something. And we really haven't been able to do that for the most part. Marek's done it a couple games, but it's just not something we've been able to do. And, I think Pascal is just, I don't. I really don't think he can jump. I thought he was in position a few times around the basket. I just don't think he can push off. But 
and Barama cannot jump. So it's uh, that's uh, something we it's hard to overcome that really. Bottom line, this team has been on the bubble for four straight years. In 2015, they couldn't even go to the tournament because of a self-imposed ban. In 2016, they barely got in and made a Final Four run. Last year, they didn't have the resume to get in. Now Syracuse has had its bubble burst and has to make a deep run in the ACC tournament, one would think. I would be more concerned, and frankly more critical, if there wasn't relief in sight. It puts a lot of pressure on next year's team with Jalen Carey and Darius Basley adding to what should be a pretty deep roster provided everybody comes back. Elijah Hughes is sitting on the bench, the 6'6 transfer guard that couldn't even play this year. If a deep team like that is sitting, barring injury, exactly where we are today a year from now in March of 2019, then I think some of the criticisms and the snipes that Jim Beheim and others are taking Wherever it shall be, social media, the talk, radio, airwaves, podcasts, whatever the case may be, would be more valid. But I think we got to keep it real on this team. The fact that with six players, they made it this far and we're still in the NCAA tournament conversation, that should not be condemned. That should be applauded. Close your eyes. Visualize this. You're in the carrier dome. The house is full. The feeling is electric. The noise is deafening. You have a defense that is relentless. You have a special team that has been well coached. You have an offense that will not huddle. And you have a game that's faster than you've ever seen on turf. Open your eyes. That's going to be a reality. That's going to be Syracuse football. So we're here with Julian Wiggum. Uh, congratulations, by the way. You're the second person to make their second appearance. Nice. Here on the Syracuse Sports Podcast. Nice. Uh, future media star and uh, Syracuse.com ace intern yes. with us here, <laughs> amongst uh, other titles, including former Syracuse football player. So spring ball starts Sunday, Julian, and uh, we got a nice little surprise when the spring depth chart was released on Friday. Antoine Cordy. Cordy. At wide receiver. I, Please discuss. When you told me that, I couldn't believe it because I hadn't checked the I email wish I got a list, photo I guess. That. You should have seen <laughs> Julian's the look on his face when I said, hey, look at the depth chart. Oh, because he's been known as the best athlete on a team for years. Every coach raves about him. Players, we all we all knew he's such a talent. So to see him on the offensive side of the ball, and I know how many opportunities he's going to get. I've seen what Irv's done with it. I saw what uh, Brisley Esteem got to do with the ball in the slot. And I know Cordy's going to do the same thing. He's going to have an excellent year. He'll probably go all ACC. But just knowing the short area quickness that he has, the ability to, he can run. I've seen him run routes before already. He I used to work on him like, hey, can I borrow you for press practice? And he was like, dang, this guy's got kind of good. He's better than some of the receivers I've covered. So getting the opportunity to uh, play that receiver position, I think he's going to have do an excellent job. I mean, uh, and it just means so many things on the offensive side of the ball and defensively. One, offensively, it says, hey, we need some playmakers. We know you're one. We're going to get you the ball. Then defensively, it tells me Andre Sisko's over at over at uh, free safety. And I'm like, oh. He's a freshman, by the way. 60, freshman. 186 pounds. Uh, you don't know a lot about him yet. Nobody really knows a lot about him yet. You know, he's an IMG kid. And- yep. 
there's somebody to keep an eye on during the, spring practice to see if he's listed there. And yes. depth charts aren't, you know, the Bible here, but mm-hmm. that's a pretty big jump for somebody like that. Yeah. Cordy was the best safety on the team, according to a lot of people. Right. And, yeah. that, and if you're moving a talented athlete from defense to offense, leaving that big of a hole, and with the personnel that you're filling it with, that tells me that you have an emphasis on length. I might have had a Dwyer preference for Cam Jonas. <laughs> <laughs> just because I would like to, but I know he's, we're, we're coming back from injury, but uh, just to, I know, I, I know he's a longer cat he's got the long arms uh he's just we were talking about hip to ankle ratio he's got a high hip to ankle ratio i'm sure he'll um he's just a long athlete i'm sure that the reason for that though is an emphasis on shrinking those coverage gaps stephen bailey wrote an article late last year about how good quarterbacks seem to uh, go shred apart this defense and one of the reasons because there's so many coverage gaps there was uh against wake forest Holes are getting hit in the middle of the field and on the outside against cover two, and linebackers and safeties couldn't react to it. Uh, Middle Tennessee took advantage of it. Those were games that Syracuse shouldn't have lost, but because there were so many wide-open coverage gaps, they gave the game away. Louisville took advantage. They had a great quarterback. Um, But if you've got more length and you've got guys who can recognize those passing lanes and get into them, you have a much better defense. And if this defense can figure it out, the offense will – figure themselves out. They have a great coach and babers and coordinators and everything. Well, I'm sure Dino will address this, Julian, but how much of this do you think is Cordy's missed 21 of the last 24 games with injury? Mm -hmm. It's not like you can't get hurt on the offensive side of the ball, but when you're delivering the impact, you're delivering the tackle, I mean, you've been in the secondary. Give me that perspective about making that switch and maybe trying to you know, cut back on his potential for injury. I mean, you mentioned the athleticism aspect of it, and he's a playmaker, but how much do you think that could be a factor? Oddly, I I think it's safer to play defense than it is offense because you're getting hit on offense. You've got guys who are coming after your knees. You've got guys who are hitting you in your shoulder pads and helmet rather than delivering the blow with the shoulder or delivering a blow. You can, you can see your target, line him up with your eyes, and then deliver a strike through the, the shoulder pads. That's how you're coached. But on offense, you, you kind of leave yourself open to those hits. So... I don't think that this has much to do with for Antoine Cordy's health, or I think it's more just for the production on offense and the need for for talent. Because health wise, you you get hurt. You're more likely to get hurt on offense. You're taking blows rather than delivering them. Real quick here, because we're burying the lead. People want quarterback discussion. Oh yeah, you know this. <laughs> but when you looked at the depth chart, there's a few other position changes. Anything that also raised an eyebrow? Uh, position changes. Yeah, Tyrone Perkins at safety. Throwing him from running back to safety, putting some depth there. It seems to be that the secondary is a huge emphasis for them. Uh, just moving guys around, putting freshmen in certain places, seeing uh, Afatu Melifanyu get an opportunity as a backup corner. Uh, there's just a lot of movement going. Allen Stritzinger, I've never had said that name before. <laughs> you know, so just seeing these new names I pop up. I think you got it right. Yeah, I, I hope so. If I didn't, if you listen, Allen, I apologize. <laughs> but... Uh, this seems to be just a lot of emphasis on the secondary with the coaching changes. Yeah. You know, um, Coach Monroe going to the safeties, Coach McLeod moving from receivers to cornerbacks. Uh, There's a real emphasis on this secondary right now. I think that's important because that was a big problem for them, especially at the end of the season. So if you improve the secondary and the way based on the scheme that they have, if you make that secondary better, I think the entire team gets better. I think a lot of the issues that kept this team from winning at least six games will be fixed if they can go find a way to 
make this secondary or get the secondary where it needs to be. I think this is still Eric Dungy's team. I think that'll be the case in spring practice. Yep. But I think you've got to be smart about this because he has not finished a season in the last three years. And I think Tommy DeVito is going to push him a little bit here. But what can we see from the spring practice? What starts to get implemented now at the quarterback position to set up Tommy DeVito to be ready to take over if Eric Dungy gets hurt again? And I hate to say it, it's not really an if, it's a when at this point because of his, his injury history. Right, yeah, Coach. Or, coach. Eric Dungy, has, he hasn't finished a 12-game season yet, and that's worrisome. It's, it's not bad to start looking for some insurance. When I saw Tommy DeVito last season as a freshman, he stood out to me because he was accurate. I loved his throwing motion. Uh, he threw a nice, precise ball, and he had some zip behind it as well. There's a lot of guys who can put some whistle behind it, but the power to it is what really struck out to me. And I was like, wow, this, this kid's talented. He can move. He's mobile. I went back and watched his high school tape. He was just hitting guys left and right, deep ball, mid-range, uh, short. I was like, this, this kid can play. So you take all the, the talent, that physical talent, now what about the intangibles? That's what you're worrying about if you're a coach, if you're a fan. What intangibles does he have if Eric Dungey were to go down? Can he lead this team against the Florida State or Louisville or, or whoever else when Zach Mahoney was in there? What would DeVito have done now? And that's what you're worried about for, from a backup standpoint. Can this guy come in and play and make plays for our team to help us win games? And I think he can do that. You know, he seems to have poise. I've seen him out around campus a couple times. He's always got a little posse behind him. I'm like, <laughs> that's what I like to see. That means you're the leader. That means you're the guy. And that's what I wanted. That, that means guys are behind you. They trust you. And if and when I'm seeing that, I'm like, okay, that's that's what I like. And if, if he's truly becoming that leader in the locker room that he's supposed to be, I think Syracuse football will be good for a very long time. I got an old uh, doo-wop song in my head when he said that. Leader of the pack. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> no. Go Every Google time it. you mention music. <laughs> Go Google it, Julian. Every time we talk music, this turns into something you got to Google. That's, that's old even for me. I, yeah. I will say that. I don't know why that popped in my head there, but... Look, you've probably heard these stories more than I have, but even I've heard the stories that DeVito was shredding the first-team defense. Yep. And he was on the scout team. Yes. Okay, this wasn't just a matter of, hey, he looks pretty good. No, he was, like, tearing up the first-team defense. So that's got to be a good sign. Yeah, if you got a freshman who got moved into the second team right away, that tells me, okay, the kid's talented. And it wasn't just, oh, he's a high recruit, let's put him there. The kid is making plays. And then I, I told the guys in the secondary, you know my guys, Chris Frederick, I'm like, how good is that DeVito kid? Like, yeah. He's made a couple balls. I'm like, okay. That's what I like to hear. And if he's shredding apart first-team defenses, that tells me, A, he's ready. You know, and again, the physical talent is there. I just need to know about the intangibles. What else can you provide? Do you have the leadership qualities? Do people trust you? Are your receivers in sync? Do you have um, chemistry with the guys on the outside and in the slot? And if you do, can you make sure that your offensive line is good? Because the big thing was offensive line. You know, pass protection and run protection, they 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 struggled. It was I don't like to blame the running backs from last Strickland and and Moneal. I I felt for them, but does does Devito have his offensive line in place? Can he is he in sync with his receivers? And I, I can't wait to see that during the spring game. You know, there's a lot to be seen throughout these spring practices and going into the spring game. What this kid can do, and that's why I really value the spring because it's an opportunity for you to play, take some time, and then have 
sometimes one or two days of film to go back and look at what you were doing, to really study the material and then go back out and play. When you're playing in the fall, you're just kind of jumping in day after day after day. You're more worried about your body than you are your mind and what exactly you need to be doing and study-wise. So having that extra film time and the combination of having the pads on will be really valuable for DeVito and a lot of these young guys who are getting thrown into the fire. Something you just said intrigues me, and I want to follow up on that. And we'll do that after this word from Bill Rapp. How about a shout-out to a team that's never on the bubble? The Bill Rapp Superstore. Brian and Bruce, those guys bleed orange. They love talking hoops with you. And they're celebrating the season with slam-dunk deals. Boom, basketball reference. New Subarus, Buicks, GMCs. You can get live market pricing on pre-owned vehicles. How about credit approved, value on your trade? You can calculate your payments online. That's a good idea. Get on BillRap.com and figure it out there because you always get a great deal. It's always the smart choice. And you can shop online at BillRap.com. All right, but the one thing we don't know, Julian, is intangible. So say you want about Eric Dungey. He does have a, an injury history. Mm-hmm. The guy's fearless. Yes. And you want a quarterback to be fearless. Yes. It can be your detriment sometimes because sometimes you try to make a play that, no, you're not going to tackle four linebackers, Eric. You need to get rid of the football or get out of bounds. But you can't teach those things. So I guess that's what we're going to see. How much of that is in Tommy? Mm-hmm. We know it's an Eric. It's been to his detriment at times. But I haven't heard much about that. You brought up some of the, the characteristics that may show he has it, but now it's it's time for him to show it, and there's only so much you can do there in practice. Right. It's just a matter of seeing what he does. And I think we're at, we're at the wait a little while. The spring, he's going to be protected, obviously. Um, and then even in fall camp, he'll be protected. We really got to see him and gain action to know what this kid's about. We saw right away when Dungey came in for Hunt. This kid's a baller. He's just going to go out there and do his thing. He'll put a shoulder in you. He'll, he'll put a foot in your chest. <laughs> you know, he does things that quarterbacks aren't supposed to do, and it's yet to be seen what DeVito would do. I mean, you can only get so much from a high school tape. The college game is just so much faster and it's so much different than than that lower level. So just seeing how he how he's adjusted over the course of a year and what this spring will do for him, going through the summer and then going into the fall. We just got to see him in some game action first. You brought up protection, and the offensive line is something that's always important important to keep an eye on here but you know there's a there's a big thing there at right tackle Mike Clark is Mike listed. Mike Clark one of the twin towers. 68304 oh so my. you're putting a big body in there to yes. take over for Jamal McGluster who unfortunately you know is out due to, due to injuries at this point so you know what steps forward do the offensive line have to take from some weaknesses maybe you spotted last year? I think the number one thing for them will be communication. I've lived with offensive linemen for Three years, and the big thing that Omari Palmer. What was your grocery me, budget? Oh man, we <laughs> we ate out a lot. So it was yeah. Dinosaur Barbecue, um, Cheesecake Factory, and I just ate like a fat kid for three. <laughs> it, it was great. We had a great time in there. Well, do, do offensive linemen order like the left side of the menu and the right side to go? Basically, kind of yeah. I mean, just those about. guys have to eat a lot, and they're in shape and they're working out and everything. But it I, was scary. I can't imagine what they're packing. I couldn't yeah. leave anything in the fridge. I remember one time I put a pizza, I had ordered some Domino's, I ate a slice, went to the bathroom real quick, and it was gone. <laughs> gone. And I was like, what are y'all doing? And Omar, oh my bad, bro. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness, you couldn't leave anything out around them, oh, living alignment in. But uh, chemists, they always talked about chemistry and being able to trust the guy next to you. 
because uh, blocking schemes a lot about communication. Hey, we're going to chip this guy. I'll take the linebacker or chip this man, and then you rise up to the second level. And understanding who exactly is making that call and then trusting that he understands it and will execute it. So I don't think that that was happening a lot last year. We had a bunch of line guy, a bunch of young guys on that offensive front. Uh, Aaron Roberts was missing, and he was supposed to be that veteran leadership, and he wasn't there. You had young guys in there, uh, a young sophomore, or a young freshman, I'm sorry, last season, Aaron Servius, uh, making the calls. And the coaches must have trusted him, but there was still some issues going on there on that front on that front offensive line. And then having Ravian Pearson there, I remember there were certain times uh, he would come off on the side and just say, yeah, there was some issues between me and my tackle. There would be issues between me and a guard. I'm like, oh, wow, that's how far communication. Right, mind you, I'm a cornerback. So the most strange position to me is the offensive line and what they do. And I'm still learning it, but from what I understand – there was just a lot of communication issues up front for them, and that contributed to a lot of the issues in the passing game, not giving Dungey enough time, forcing him to run. And then in the run game where Dante Strickland and Moneo really struggled last season. This is not going to get fixed in spring practice, but the process starts in spring practice. From a defensive perspective, what was the breakdown last year? I mean, the last few games, it's just the bottom fell out. So what lesson is this team? does this team take from that and start to apply in spring ball here, and do they have the personnel to do it? I think the f- number one breakdown for – it was that, oh, my goodness, this is bad because I, I had a lot of issues with this defense over the last few games. Um, I'll start on the back end because that's where I'm most familiar. The coverage guys that we talked about before, they seem to react very slow. They seem to be still questioning where they need to be. Uh, I always highlight this one play where Evan fought – it was against NC State – where Evan Foster was on the 10-yard line. We talked – remember the dra- the yep. little graph I drew, I the do. geometry and everything? I do remember that. He had six seconds to go seven yards to the pylon and couldn't get there. That's unacceptable. And those problems were throughout the season, not just Evan Foster, but just every – from the corners to the safeties, even a couple linebackers at times, it's – Plays they were supposed to make, they didn't. It's just a matter of execution. I'm not sure if it was mentally they weren't quite sure where they need to be or if the talent wasn't there. But then I started seeing plays where it, it would even be Zaire Franklin on a read option against Wake Forest uh, where the quarterback takes the ball. You've got four yards. He is three yards behind the line of scrimmage. You are three yards behind in front of the line of scrimmage. You guys should meet and you should make the play. You're the all-ACC player here. He gets broken off, and now the quarterback's going walking into the end zone. Just plays like that were, what is going on? Why is this so hard to understand? And you then think it, that's why we saw some of those coaching changes? Yes, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. You don't, and because it's not all on the players, especially when you're seeing talented guys who have make play after play after play, not in position. And there is, uh, coaches do have to be held accountable, and it seems to be that Coach Babers is doing that, making those changes. Hey, this needs to be better here, this needs to be better here. And I'm excited for it. I like the coaching changes. I like seeing that there are changes being made throughout the roster and even in the staff. That tells me, okay, they're addressing the issues. They understand that they were there and that they're trying to make changes. So a lot of those changes were scheme and also execution. So that's coaching and players. It's a mix of both, and it seems to me that, they're trying to address it this spring. Let me test your special teams knowledge here a little bit. Let's do it. Hashtag special teams matter, my friend. They do. Everybody dismissed the visual representation I just gave that. <laughs> in the That's why we need to videotape these podcasts, too. Sterling Hoffrichter is listed as both the starting punter and the starting place kicker. Is that something he can handle? I think so. You know, only because I've talked to Coach E 
before, a coach Edinger, uh, the strength conditioning coach, and he's always gassing up high Richter as a kicker. You know, he says, "Oh man, the kid will." But, but if we were wherever in, in the, um, the the what's it called, the Ensley Ensley Center, Ensley Center yeah. um, he would always hit the roof, mm. punting the ball. He's like, "Ah, yeah, it's not even going to go out there. Don't even you know the move." I'm like, "Oh my goodness, this kid." It's <laughs> like, "Yeah, he's got a leg." So then seeing him as a kicker as well, it's like, I don't know why he wasn't a kicker before. I'm like, "Really?" He's like, yeah, he's, he's got a huge leg. He's accurate. I'm like, okay, I, I can get behind that. Number one thing for a kicker, though, I remember I got this from the NFL, is you got to – the biggest thing for them is ball placement on kickoffs and then – Obviously, the field goal responsibility is make the kick. You learned that in the NFL. I learned that from Ace Ventura, Pet Detective. Laces out, Dan. <laughs> okay. I, I let the people judge what's the better <laughs> What's the better lesson there. I always try to anticipate what you're going to say sometimes so I can formulate a response. Have you seen Ace Ventura, Pet Detective? No. Uh, That's why it throws Julian. me like that. that I, Julian, I missed, I just, you I need missed. to get that on Netflix ASAP. Oh my goodness! I'll, I'll, try, I'll put that on the list. Anyway, I'll I don't know how we went from Sterling Hoffrich to that, but we did. <laughs> well, I, I think my point was uh, I was talking about oh ball placement, making your field goals, right. but ball placement and, and kickoffs. Uh, the biggest thing sometimes is either a booting it all the way out of the end zone. Uh, in college level, you can do that. Or trying to place it in the corners. And that would seem to be um, an issue last season for... Uh, but replacing Cole Murphy, uh, I noticed one thing was his kickoff and ball placement. Sometimes it seemed to be that the kickoff would be geared towards the left, end up in the middle. Kind or Kind of like, like my golf game. Yeah, it, was all, <laughs> it was all over the place. There were some inconsistencies there. And he right. missed some kicks last year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he did. But the number one thing for a kickoff unit is you want that ball placement to be exactly where it's coached to be right. because you're gearing your players to be out there and you don't want uh, certain kicks to get away from your coverage because then guys can bounce it around. Or it, The key is hidden yardage. That's the number one thing that coach, special teams coaches talk about. You don't want to get that hidden yardage. You want to limit it. You don't want to give them the extra 10 yards. That's another first down. Uh, you don't want to give them uh, broken tackles. All those missed tackles end up in the more hidden yardage. You don't want that to add up to more than, I think it's like 12 yards a game, if I'm right, by Schaefer. Um, but you, you want to limit that hidden yardage. So number one thing for a special team, especially the kicker, is to put the, have great ball placement. That way you know where your kickoff unit is supposed to be, and that's how you limit teams from getting so many yards to start to start their drive. So if you can keep a team inside the 20, you're golden. And I think he's going to do a really good job of that because he has great ball placement. He's an excellent kicker. has a beautiful leg. One last thought from you, and now that you're on you know the media side of the fence here, mm-hmm. you know, you've got to deal with what we deal with, which is basically like as much knowledge as you can soak in 10 minutes of practice time, which is essentially stretching. But there's things that you see that we don't. So when you go to these spring practices and – fall practices in that note. But spring's a little different, like yeah. you said. It's a lot of technique. It's a lot of things yeah. that are different than, than fall ball in some ways. But give us a sense of how you watch practice, what you're looking for. What are, you know? Do you go in with a mission every day? Is it just what grabs you? Like, How do you watch practice? Uh, number one thing going in uh, is I'm looking for how are guys moving. What, what, was, what seemed to be a deficiency for them last year? And where do they look different this year? Um, a big thing for me was Jamal Custis uh, going in last year. I, I didn't want to do strictly this guy's here, this guy's there. I want to see who's, who's looking like they're going to improve. And I knew the position battle last year was a big deal. Custis seemed to be a really stiff athlete uh, when he first got in as a freshman, sophomore. He couldn't really get off the ball that well. He was really predictable in his releases. 
Let's let's see if he still is because he's up for a top spot this year. He was much more agile. He could move around better. Uh, His hands seemed to improve. His range of motion was better. And I'm looking for how agile guys are. Uh, Sometimes I'm looking for if you had a hands deficiency, you're making a lot of drops. Uh, How natural are you catching the ball? I knew Steve Ishmael could catch anything, but it was just even more effortless going into last season when I got to see him in the spring. I remember there was a ball way outside of his radius. Usually he would just stretch up, grab it to this year or that year. It was pluck one, barely get off the ground, like nothing happened. I'm like, this guy, that's a confidence. That tells me, okay, this guy's a confident athlete now. He doesn't even need to put two in it up anymore. And it tells me, okay, this guy has such a great range of motion that it's not even a stretch to try to put that extra palm up there. So I'm looking for how agile they've become. I'm looking for where they've grown since last season. So when I'm looking at an offensive lineman, are they communicating more? Um, Are they getting into their drops uh, that much quicker? Uh, When I was looking at Aaron Roberts, I wanted to see how powerful he was. I remember I was watching, uh, I forget who the two guys were. Uh, It was a defensive drill. And... I'm like, how how do I make this worth some like why would I someone want to care about this? And I'm looking at it and I'm and I'm saying, okay, who's getting low? And I can't remember the two guys, but I'm like, oh man, this guy's really getting under him. You go to the game. Mind you, I have way too much free time. I go <laughs> check the game tape, and I'm like, oh my goodness, he was super high last year, uh going coming out of the blocks. Look how look how low he's getting in these drills. So here's something noteworthy. Hey, this guy's getting really low, and then he'll turn and then come. I forget who the kid was. It wasn't Kenneth Roth. Uh, I keep, but the kid's getting lower, and then he comes out in the game, and he's having a great game because he's turning that corner, getting off the edge. Was it Alvin Robinson? I'm really killing myself right now. But it was the kid seemed to be getting off the ball that much better. I'm like, I saw him do it in practice. He's doing it now in the game, and it wasn't something that he was doing the season before. And that's something I'm like, okay, that's newsworthy. That's what I'm looking for, the changes that these guys are making from year one to year two, from day one to day two. We'll have more. Uh, we'll circle back on the podcast a couple times. Maybe some video stuff, a whole bunch on spring practice, not only from Julian and I, but, of course, the whole team here on Syracuse.com. Nate Mink, Stephen Bailey, and the boys. In the meantime, uh, thank you. Go get Ace Ventura, Pet Detective, in your queue. <laughs> Please watch it. Very good. good movie. And we'll talk to you next time, Julian. Sounds good. Madonna surveying line drive ahead. What a pass! What a catch in traffic! The shot! Ryan Simmons wins! Dom Madonna, the goalie, just assisted on a triple overtime game winning goal. Ryan Simmons, the winner. 11 10, the final. I have brought back the Swiss Army knife of Syracuse.com, Lindsey Kramer, to hit a few different things going on because this is a great time of the year, Lindsey. Syracuse basketball is coming down the home stretch. Syracuse women's basketball is coming down the home stretch. Lacrosse is playing. Spring football is happening. The Syracuse Crunch are entering, you know, the home stretch here. Ton of home games in March, as it always mm-hmm. seems to be the case, right? So we got a lot of things melting together. Let me start though with lacrosse. Uh, will the real orange please stand up? Which team do you think represents what Syracuse can be better? The one that got blown out by Albany or the one that made the comeback against Army last week? 
Well, I think we'll start with the glass half full scenario. I think Syracuse again will be a very entertaining team as he usually is. Now that drama can come from close losses or close wins. I, I don't think the um, the Albany game, which was a, a great foe, Albany's just I think the number one this week. I don't think that's truly indicative of where Syracuse is this year. I don't think they're 12 goals down to uh, Albany. You're not going to play the number one, two, three team every week. I, I do believe that that elite level of the sport right now may not be where Syracuse is or where they're going to be close to be. I think this is Albany's year, by the way. Right. I think this is their year. They're, they're finally going to do it. I mean, it's March, but I, I think they've got that look of it, of that kind of team. It's tough because they are they have the expectations from start to finish, so they're, not, they're certainly not sneaking up on anybody. So whatever they're capable, capable of doing, they know right now. I've talked to the coach and some of the players, and they're very low-key about, okay, we're playing Drexel this week. We're not worried about you know Duke in, in the spring or whatever, you know, Final Four. But that sort of thing creeps up on you and for for a team that uh, – you know, has maybe not been there before. It'd be interesting to see, you know, how far or how well they handle it. Back to SU, uh, again, I don't think anybody's uh, fooling themselves into thinking that right now they're at that Final Four, top eight caliber. But the encouraging thing about the Army game is for a young team, for a new team against an Army foe that typically will bury teams once they're up four or five goals, Syracuse found a way to come back. Now, you can argue that they shouldn't have been down five, six goals in the Dome to start with. That's, you know, here, here, here nor there. But they keep getting beat a lot to face off. They're losing a lot of ground balls. You know, the hustle stats are not going their way. So it's a question of does the team find the heart to sort of turn that around? I mean, stats-wise and personnel-wise, it looks like they have the talent to to hang in there. But um, in the games I've seen, the Albany game and then following the Army game, it just seems like they're not quite there as far as keeping up physically on the field. So it's simple as you you can't keep getting hammered in the face-off. So that's going to come back to bite him against Virginia ACC team. So... It starts there. We're going to miss Ben Williams, but um, you know if uh, they find a way to turn that around, you know they'll play some close games. Now, is that is that enough to make the tournament? I guess we'll see in the well, ACC that's tournament. It. It's no rest for the weary as usual, Lindsay, because you got Virginia coming up this weekend, Hopkins to follow. Weekend and week out, Syracuse plays this tough schedule. So last year you saw so many games come down mm-hmm. to the wire, you, and you said this team could be entertaining like that one, but this team doesn't have as much impact in terms of, you know, a Serge right. Salcedo, Nick Mariano combo, and we're all kind of waiting to see mm-hmm. who, who steps up in that department. So we'll see uh, which the real orange lacrosse team is starting this weekend against Virginia. Syracuse men's basketball fans are kind of gritting their teeth right now because their bubble may have burst against Boston College Wednesday night. Mm-hmm. Women's team is a better position, though, to go dancing. Women's team has finished 10-6 and six in the ACC, and the ACC tournament starts today. They're playing Virginia Tech at 2 o'clock. Now, that's a game they should win, although Tech did beat them in the Dome earlier this year. But even if they lost uh, first round, they're, they're ranked 23rd in the country. Uh, they seem pretty safe to get to get in. Now that's just a question of um, uh, of seeding and which region to go to. Now, in women's basketball, you know everything's usually about UConn and the top three or four seed. There's some real powerhouses, so it's a question of um, you know who's your second, third round matchup. Last year, Syracuse played UConn in the second round. Do they do well enough in the ACC tournament to maybe at least avoid a top eight team until the third round if, if they make it that far? So um, they can really help themselves. But if they beat Tech today, they're going up against Louisville, which is the number one seed. So again, they are safe as far as I'm concerned as far as getting into the tournament. But after that, you know, but such a young team, I think anything now is. I don't want to say gravy. They don't look like that, but this is really a, like a free year, you know, as far as development. You're developing and winning, and then next year, we'll see. Previous guest on the Syracuse Sports Podcast, Tiana Manjakahia, 
I think I said that. I call right. it Tiana, but yeah, yeah. T. Just just stick with T, and, right. and it all goes well. All ACC sets the Syracuse record for assists, and she's got some time left here at Syracuse. She's going to obliterate that record at this point. What a star she turned out to be for that team. It's phenomenal, and I and I keep asking her. I think the thing we don't appreciate most about her is that she never played Division One ball before, and Incredible. she's two years away from playing virtually anywhere, sitting out two years in junior college. So. Everybody deserves a period of adjustment, especially at the ACC level. He was a tough coach to play for, especially as a point guard. You go from Lexus Peterson, an all-time great. Oh, just step in and take over for her without no big deal. without yeah. dribbling one dribble here at Syracuse. And the fact that she's she's been so seamless, I think, is an unbelievable story and one of the overlooked uh, accomplishments in you know college sports this year. Lindsay, earlier this week, I love how Lindsay can just flip his Rolodex and go from one sport to the next. That's what I love about this guy. Hockey, okay? Mm-hmm. Hockey, get that on the brain. But earlier this week was the NHL trade deadline. And when I saw the news starting to come across, mm-hmm. Rangers, Tampa Bay make this big trade, mm-hmm. I even tweeted it, which is a lesson. You know, sometimes mm-hmm. you don't tweet, right? Mm-hmm. That the Crunch were going to be affected by this. How could they not? Well, they weren't <laughs> in that trade. Nobody of significance from the crunch went and changed hands here. So now that the deadline has passed and some playoff rosters have been locked down and Syracuse is coming down the home stretch here in pretty good position, how does this roster look going down this playoff stretch in terms of last year, which was a Calder Cup finalist? Well, we're very fortunate here in Syracuse if you're a hockey fan because last year was such a treat, uh, a roster-based Primarily on veterans, we're getting it done. A lot of great older players, and you could see, you kind of see it coming at the end of the season, the first round. That Syracuse was just pretty much better than almost everybody in the league. You thought, well, you know, this could be fun. These veterans know what they're doing. They seem to buy in. The year turns over, and you get half half a new roster, a lot of young kids. You just never know: are they good? Are they committed? Do they know what it takes to win the league? We're more than halfway through the HL season now, three quarters of the way in. The Crunch is in second place, and I got to tell you. Uh, this roster and, and promise of postseason run is fascinating because it's a completely different um, approach. Young team still figuring it out, but you know when the season goes long and and you get tired, you want those you want those kids, you know, there. You know, you want those kids with fresh legs. They they don't they're too young to know better. They're probably not worried about you know next contract. They're locked in. They're not free agents. So while again, it's a much different team than last year. I'm very intrigued. A different goalie, but a very good one, Ellie Pascali. Uh, a lot of young legs. I, I don't know their heads and shoulders above many of the other teams. They're in second place now. Toronto's very good. Uh, Lehigh Valley's very good. But I'm, I'm saying once they get in that postseason and they they start running teams around and some older teams are tired and some teams have impacted by call-ups, it looks like Tampa Bay you know, should be set. It should be a very fun run. But again, mostly because underscored by how different it would be last year watching him out there. Um, different style of play, different faces. A lot to cover, a lot to look over, and Lindsay will be on the beat of all those things and more. Thanks for uh, stopping by the podcast once again. Bring you back anytime. That's the Syracuse Sports Podcast for this week. I'm Brent Dax. Thanks for listening. Don't forget you can download on iTunes and Google Play and have new episodes delivered right to your phone, iPad, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. We'll talk to you next time.